welcome to the At Ramsey Heights podcast, your source for all of our audio messages at Ramsey Heights Baptist Church in Batesville, Arkansas. This is Pastor Brian Coates, and I hope this encouragement from God's Word connects with you and helps guide you through your next steps on your journey with God. Enjoy today's message. If you've got your Bibles with you, and I hope you do, we'll be in the Gospel of John this morning. John chapter 1. In the late night, or I'm sorry, in the early 1970s, a new comedian burst up on the stage. His name was Bill Cosby. How many of you guys have heard of Bill Cosby? Now we're going to remember the good Bill Cosby. We're going to go back to the 70s when Bill Cosby was a good person. But Bill Cosby brought an album out, and he was the first African American comedian to sell one million comedy albums. Because his album was so popular, many many parts of his album began to be quoted by people, and they've actually become somewhat a part of our our culture these days, even if we don't know that's where they came from. At one part of his album, my favorite part, he talks about his parents and their different parenting styles. He talks about his mother. He said, my mother was an expert on pigsties. And I know that because she'd walk into my room and say, I've never seen a pigsty this bad. Apparently she knew a lot about pigsties. He, he talks about that. And he talks about the fact that his mother was kind of the one who would argue with him the most. And, and she would be asking him questions and what are we going to do about this? And he'd start to answer and she said, boy, don't talk to me when I'm asking you questions. Like, that's not what I'm here to do. And he would argue with her. He said, but that is so different than my father. He said, me and my father, we never had to argue. Me and my father had this understanding since the time I was seven. When my father looked at me and he says, boy, I brought you into this world and I can take you out. Makes no difference to me. I'll make another one that looks just like you. How many of you guys have heard that saying? I brought you into this world. Now, that came from Bill Cosby. I didn't know. I actually was thinking of that saying and I went and looked up Bill Cosby this week. Uh, what I love about that saying is what that father is saying to Bill Cosby is you owe your entire existence to me. Your existence is based upon me. And the fact that that's become so popular with parents to look at our kids and say, I brought you into this world and I'll take you out. I've heard that a few times myself. Still here. Just throwing that out there. Still here. And the fact that we've added that to our culture tells me something about our culture is we value the pace of our existence, don't we? Where we're interested and we value where we came from and what makes us exist. In the late 90s, there was a new company that came out called Ancestry.com. You've probably seen the commercials of Ancestry.com. And you can actually get on this website and you begin to build your family tree and you put your parents' names in there and then it will search through the records that have been uploaded to this census data and stuff like that. And it'll say, well, is it possible that, that your parents' parents were these people? And it's through research, you can find out so much about your family to your great, great, great grandparents as it, it tracks the records of birth certificates and census data way back into history. Some people have even tracked their family back to the point where their family came to America. And this company has been incredibly fruitful, or made a lot of money because people want to know, where did I come from? What is my existence? A few years ago, Ancestry.com started um, um, offering a DNA kit. And this DNA kit, for $100, they will send you a little Q-tip, that's an expensive Q-tip apparently, that you can swab the inside of your cheek with and send it back to them. And they will analyze your DNA to figure out what your ancestry is. Not only can they tell you what your ethnicity is, they can tell you what part of Europe or what part of Africa or what part of Asia that your family originated from. And you can find out down to the percentage, who am I? Where is my existence based upon? And to date, they have a database of 18 million DNA tests that people want to know, where did I come from? What, what is my existence? 
Because that's something that we ask ourselves a lot is, is why do I exist? And even maybe more importantly is, is how do I exist? Last week we started looking at the Gospel of John and John is telling us about his best friend and he's going to answer the question for us today. What about your existence? What is the base of your existence? Where did you come from? Last week he opened up some truth on us about Jesus. He started off by telling us that Jesus was there in the beginning. He refers to Jesus as the Logos, which is the overall encompassing spirit or power that holds the world together. And he told us, he told us that Jesus was God and that he was with God, telling us a lot about what it means to be part of the Trinity. And next, he's going to start to answer that question that I think all humans have had of, where does my existence begin? Where did I come from? So if you've got your Bibles open, let's, let's read verse 3 of chapter 1 together. John speaking of Jesus here. He said, all things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Leave your Bibles open. We're going to come back to that here in just a couple minutes. So John starts off talking about Jesus. He defines him as the Logos. He defines him as God. He places him in the beginning. And now he's going to start to tell us a little bit about what Jesus can do in these positions. Number one, he says, all things were made by him. That him there is obviously referring to Jesus. And there's this revelation here that, that we might not have thought of. If Jesus is God, doesn't that make Jesus the creator? Doesn't that make Jesus the one who created all things? And then he goes on as if that wasn't good enough. He says, and nothing that was made was made. Let's see, let me, without him, nothing was made that was made. Now, John is using very definitive language, and I think he's doing it on purpose. Anytime you see somebody, a biblical author, repeat themselves, they're trying to get something through mine and your thick skulls to make sure you understand. He used definitive language. He said, all things that were made, and nothing that was made was made without him. He uses all or nothing. He said, there, there's no question about creation that Jesus is in control of all of it. I think John was a little bit scared that if he identified him as the creator, that somebody would go, okay, well, maybe Jesus created the trees, but he didn't create the animals. Maybe he was a part of creation, but not all of it. But John makes sure that we know, no, Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ created all that was created, and there is nothing that has been created that was not created by Jesus. Our first take-home truth, by the way, in your bulletin, you've got a take-home truth there. If you want to pull that out and throw it away, you may do that today because I printed it off two separate times. And it's still printed last week's, even though I fixed it twice. So if you want to take notes, you're on your own today. I'll still tell you our take-home truths. But our first take-home truth is this, is without Jesus, there is no creation. Without Jesus, there is no creation. And creation encompasses everything that we think of, everything that we know. Our creation is the physical world around us, the earth and the sun and the stars and the fish and the animals. But you can take it a little bit deeper than that because everything that is created is not just the things that we can point to and touch. You've you got to think about our mental world. It has never ceased to amaze me. I'm not a mathematician. I've, I've said that up here before. Math works. It doesn't matter how many times you put two apples and two apples in the same group, you end up with four apples. All math, all math was created by God or Satan, however you want to put it. But it's all part of creation, the way, that we, the way that we mental things. Our ability to question the world, that's part of something God created was our ability to do that. Our trains of thought were created by God. But you know what? Our spiritual world was created as well. The Bible speaks of angels and demons. Those are real things. Those aren't just things that happen in movies. Those are real things. They may be in the room with us right now. I hope it's angels, by the way. 
Our, our spiritual world includes us. Listen, you are not the part of you that we can touch. You are not your body. There's something deep and spiritual about you that was created by God. And if you remember, John is trying to identify Jesus as God. He says he was in the beginning. He tells us straight out that he was God. And that's all great, but I want some proof. You come up telling me somebody's God, I want, I want some proof that somebody is God. Don't come up telling me that you know who God is and then don't back it up. Because if you think about it, even the word logos, that's conceptual. You can call somebody the power that holds the world together and, and that doesn't necessarily... Boy, I got off my notes real good there. That doesn't necessarily mean that they are that. That's just something that people could use as a word. Even to say somebody is God, that makes you raise an eyebrow and go, can you prove it? But if you say that God has the abilities and the character of God, or I'm sorry, that Jesus has the abilities and the character of God, it proves that he is God. How many of you have got a driver's license in the past year? Anybody? Not have one, have had to go get one. Just me, okay. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to drop some knowledge on y'all that y'all didn't know. This is free in addition to all the spiritual stuff. They've got something now when you go get your driver's license, they want you to get a little star put on your driver's license that's called a real ID. And what this real ID allows you to do is it allows you to board airplanes and it allows you to go in federal buildings. If you're planning on doing either one of those things, you need to go to the DMV and have your driver's license renewed because they have new qualifications to get that little star on your driver's license. Now, I did this a couple years ago or I tried to do this. I didn't have all the papers. Here's what they're requiring to get that little real ID on your driver's license. Number one, you had better take either your birth certificate or a passport. Number two, you need two documents that were mailed to your house that have both your name and your address on it, something like a water bill or an electric bill. You need your social security card, and you also need a W-2 that has your social security number on it. And the reason they ask you to do that is because they're so scared that you're going to come in and say, this is my identity with no proof. They want to know, were you born when you said you were born? Are you living the life that your identity says that you're living? Are you living where you think you're living at? Can you prove that you work where you say that you work so that they can be sure that you and I are who we are and that we're not giving them a false identity? And what John is doing for Jesus Christ here is he's given him that real ID. I'm going to claim that he's God, and I'm going to prove it. I'm going to prove it because of what he can do. He has all the traits of God. And of course, we know that Jesus was in the beginning with God. We learned that this week. But what did God do in the beginning? Let's test your biblical knowledge. In the beginning, God, what? God created and so when John says here to Jesus, he says, oh, Jesus is the creator of all things. He's offering us that proof. He's offering us that proof that Jesus is God because we've really got, only got two options. Either John is disagreeing with Genesis and saying, no, God didn't create it, Jesus did, or he's identifying them as one in the same. And that is such a big claim. That's a huge claim to say that Jesus is God. It's a huge claim to say that he is the one who created when the Bible already defines God as the creator. But here's what I love about Jesus, is Jesus can back that up. And if we know Jesus as the creator, if we know he's the one that created things, suddenly a lot of those Bible stories make a lot more sense that we never gathered or never grasped. There's this one Bible story where Jesus is in a boat with his disciples, and he's asleep in the back of the boat, and they're crossing a great sea, and the wind comes up, and the waves come up, and it looks like the boat might capsize. It'll drown all of them, and the disciples run up to Jesus, and they wake him up and said, aren't you scared? We're going to die. Why are you sleeping? And Jesus, he gets up, and he looks around, and he speaks to creation. What does he say? He says, peace, be still. And suddenly the wind dies down and the waves quit rolling. 
What kind of a person, what kind of a being can speak to creation and it obeys him? There's another place in the Bible where Jesus is going with his disciples. There's another boat story. The disciples are in a boat and Jesus wants to be with them. So he decides, you know what, I'll just walk to them across the water. Now, let's just think about this. This is not some science fiction effect in a movie. This is not necessarily just a miracle. If you think about water, water is meant to move when you apply pressure to it. And yet the very nature of water itself changed in order to support Jesus Christ as he walked across it and used it as a solid instead of a liquid. What, what kind of a being does creation change from its natural state to to something different? There's another place where Jesus walks up to a fig tree. He's been traveling, and apparently he's a little grumpy. I don't know if you can, actually, you can say that. The Bible lays that out. Jesus had emotions. Over 42 different emotions are recorded about Jesus in the Bible. He's hungry. We would call that hangry. He walks up to a fig tree, and there's no fruit on the fig tree. And he gets mad at it, and he curses the fig tree and said, From this day forth, you will not bear any fruit, because you didn't have fruit for me. And the fig tree withers and dies before Jesus Christ. What kind of person can change the life or death of a what kind of a person can change the life or death of a tree with only a command? What kind of a being has that kind of power over nature? I, I can tell you guys it's not me. And it's not you. We don't have that power. If you don't believe me, you deer hunters, next time a big buck walks by your stand and he gets away from you, yell, Hey, come back and see if he turns around and comes back. It doesn't work. I've tried it out of desperation. <laughs> So it's not us. There's something special about Jesus. And I think that this power that Jesus has cre over creation tells us that it's not that he's a miracle worker. He just has the ability to tweak the thing that he's already created. The thing that he already holds together. The life that he already gives the world. He has the ability to tweak that in an instant. My favorite story about Jesus' power over creation deals with a man. Uh, and a man is part of creation. That's, that's spelled out in Genesis 1 and 2, that me and you, we are part of creation. And this particular man, the Bible tells us, has been blind from birth. He was born blind, which means that there was something that did not develop right. I can't tell you if it's optic nerves or what it was, but something, something wasn't right with his body. His body never functioned the way most people do. Blind from birth. And as the disciples are walking past him, past him, they begin to ask Jesus, what did this man do? He was blind from birth. It couldn't have been his sin. It must have been his parents' sin. He's being punished because they believed at that time if you dealt with some kind of a physical problem, it was a punishment for sin. And Jesus pushes past their questions. And he walks over to this man, this man who has been blind every day of his life, who came out of the womb blind. And he walks over to him and he spits in the dirt. And he picks up that mud made out of spit and he rubs it on the man's eyes. He says, go wash it off and you'll be able to see. Now, first off, let's just ask this question. If I went to the doctor today and the doctor decided that he was going to heal me by rubbing mud on me, I would not go back to that doctor. Although I have had people tell me, rub some dirt in it, you'll be okay when you scrape your knee. But Jesus somehow has this ability to treat this man, to do something different with this man with dirt. And this is what I love about that story. You know what you and I are created out of? We're created out of dirt. The creator, God, Jesus, whoever the Bible says it is, the creator formed us out of dust and made us living beings. What kind of a person could add more dirt to a person's body and make a broken body whole? I think only the person who created that being or the only the being who created that person could do that. So Jesus can back up the claim that he is the creator because he has, he has the ability to control creation still. If you've still got your Bibles with me, let's read on what John says in verse 4 about Jesus. He says, In him was life, 
and the life was the light of men. So John continues on, he says, in him was life. And it's very important to go back to the Greek word here. The Greek word here for life is zo. And zo talks about spiritual life. It means the essence of life, the thing that makes us living and breathing. If we were gonna say in Greek, if we were gonna say life, like that tree is alive or that dog is alive, we'd use the word bios. But that's not what is used here by John. He says, in him was the essence of life. In Jesus Christ was, in the, was the essence of life that makes the world together. And so when we talk about creation, we know that Jesus is the creator. He obviously controls nature. But John identifies, like, look, when Jesus created the world, he was the creator. He is the one who brought forth our spiritual life. And I love this, that it says the way that John words this. It says, in him. It doesn't say that he controls and takes away. It doesn't say that he made life. It says that in Jesus Christ is contained life. The life that makes you and I eternal beings. See, Jesus did more than make this body that we have out of dirt and animate it. He breathed something very special into us. There's something special about a living human being. I love animals. I love dogs and camels. I love dogs. And like, but if you look at a dog, as much as we love our dogs, you can look in their eyes and there's not very bright in there. Not the same way as looking at a human. You can look in the eyes of a cat and see pure evil if that's what you're into. But, but you can look into an animal's eyes and you can tell there's, there's not the same thing that's there that's in, the, that's in the eyes of my child. When we go to funerals, it's a very sad day, but it's a, you go to a funeral and there's that moment where you know you've got to, you got to walk up to the casket and you've got to say goodbye to somebody that you've loved for a long time. You know, it's the last time you'll ever lay your eyes on them. It's never ceased to amaze me as I walk up and I see that body and it looks like the person has the facial features of the person. It's wearing that person's clothes, but it's not them. I don't recognize them. It's not that same person. And the reason is because that thing that Jesus Christ, that is in Jesus Christ, that life has gone out of them. The thing that makes us who we are and what we are, the eternal being is not there. And so the body is there, but the person is not. And that's not just theological. You can observe that, that that is gone. The thing that makes us who we are leaves. And the essence of this life, this thing that is different about us than is different from us and what will eventually be our dead bodies, the thing that is different in us and the other moving, living creatures across the earth, the essence of that is from within Jesus. If you're taking notes, our second take on truth is in Jesus is the essence of life. And I love the creation story. I think the creation story in Genesis 1, which I think is why I'm enjoying John 1. The creation story in Genesis 1 tells us so much about God's plan for the world and God's heart for the world. In creation, God created everything by speaking. He spoke it into existence except for one thing, except for you. And he formed you and me out of the dirt of the earth. And listen to what Genesis 2 says about the creation of man. And the Lord God formed man out of the dust of the ground. We've covered that. We're dirt. We're going to be dirt again as soon as our soul lives. The only thing that keeps us from being dirt is there's something living in us. And listen to, listen to how we got this life, this spiritual part of us. And breathe into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living soul. I want you to picture that for a second. You, your picture doesn't have to be perfect. It doesn't mean that it necessarily looked at this, but, but this is how I picture what, what the Bible's telling here. Is God with his hands took up and he scooped dirt. 
and he formed our fingers and our toes and our faces. Yes, your face was formed by God, even if you don't like it in the morning. And he formed us. And as that unanimated, that lifeless body laid on the ground, God leaned down and he breathed into the nostrils. He put his breath in our lungs. And in that moment, that's when we became living beings. That's when we became what we are. That is when the the Zoe, as um, John puts it here, entered us. And that that life is what's in us. And what's interesting about us is from the moment we begin to breathe, from the moment, let me take that back, from the moment we begin to exist, we are an eternal being into the future. I wonder how that happened. Boy, the God who is eternal into the past, the God who is eternal in the present, and the God who is eternal into the future, he put his breath in us, and that is our life. And now suddenly we're eternal beings. It begins to make sense what the Bible says about us and our spiritual life. And what John says is that breath that was put into us, that life that was breathed into us, that came from Christ. That came from within Christ. came from Jesus, who was God and who was with God. And it also tells us a lot about why we are God's favorite creation. Because we are the only one who he took the time to put part of himself into, to breathe his life and his breath into us. Now, don't get confused. You're not God. Some of us think we're God, but we're not. But, but we are God's favorite creation for that. And this is what the Bible goes on to say. He says, this life was the light of mankind, and it shined in the darkness. Let's read verse 5. And the light shineth in the darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. Now Jesus, I'm sorry, John is following the creation story here. He's following step by step with what the Bible tells us about God. He starts off with in the beginning and then he discusses Jesus being God and then he begins to discuss creation. And the next step or the first step of creation after God creates the heavens and the earth, the first step of creation is God creates light. Because what the Bible tells us is that when God created the heavens and the earth, it says that there was this darkness over the face of the earth. I love that wording. Over the face of the earth was this darkness. And he created light and he separated light from darkness. And so within that story, we see that God chased the darkness away with light. And John establishes a pattern here because God once again looked down and there was a darkness over the face of the earth. Not, not, a, not a physical darkness, not, not like it was nighttime all over the time, but a spiritual darkness, a spiritual darkness over the face of the earth. And the spiritual darkness had captured God's most beloved creation. We, we call this spiritual darkness that, that John is talking about here, we call this darkness sin. And if you've been at church very long, you've probably heard the do's and do nots. The things that we say, oh, those things are wrong that you shouldn't do those things, that you should live your life in this way. And sometimes we hate those rules because we want to do our things our own way. But what the Bible teaches us is that is a darkness that God is trying to rescue us from, not something God is trying to steal us from. You know, darkness, darkness really serves two purposes. Darkness blinds and it confuses. Darkness blinds and it confuses. My wife and I, we love to go to caverns. Not very far from here, you can go to Blanchard Springs, but we've been to several private caverns as well. I love these underground worlds, and I love thinking about in this underground world that this cave, this cavern went undiscovered for thousands of years until somebody stumbled into this cave and found this beautiful, you know, all the stalactites and stalagmites, all of those things throughout the cave. But everyone I've ever been into, or almost everyone, I won't be definitive, almost everyone I've been into, when you're in the cavern, what they'll do is, okay, well, you see um, our lighting, and you see how we've made this so beautiful so that you can see the natural beauty of the cave now let us show you what the cavern actually looks like and they'll flip off the lights 
and you're 200 feet underground and, and it's dark and when I say it's dark I don't mean like oh it's kind of dark in here it's like it surrounds you the darkness does and in that moment you get disoriented you can know which direction you were facing but in that kind of darkness it seems to close in around you and you can't even figure out which direction you are and when the Bible describes evil, when the Bible describes sin, it's talking about that kind of darkness that surrounds us and it confuses us and it keeps us from being close to God. And we see this confusion in the world these days, don't we? We see this confusion of this darkness of sin in our society. It's the same confusion that tells us more money will make me happy when actually, if we would just take a second and observe, more money makes us more greedy. It's the confusion that tells me that drugs will bring me joy. And somehow it keeps us from seeing the, po uh, the possibility of addiction. It's the darkness that says if I'm free with my sexuality, it'll bring me pleasure. But somehow it hides from us the brokenness that we experience again and again and again as we break away from God's rules. You see this in Hollywood, a lot of people. A lot of people think, if you will worship me, it will bring me a life full of joy and honor. But in the truth is, those people feel like the biggest failures. If you ever look into the life of a Hollywood actor who has everything, all of the money, all of the glamour, all of the fame, they're miserable and they're looking for something to make them happy. They're caught in the darkness. It's the darkness that blinds me to the fact that when I hurt others, it breaks relationships instead of builds me up. And we see this playing out in our society. Our jails are full of people who cannot escape the darkness. We weep for the deaths of people when they make poor decisions with their lives. We suffer from a society of greed. And we search for value when we're torn down. You see it in politics. We fight over everything. It is because our world is blind and confused and hurting. And the worst part of all of that is, the worst part of every last thing that I just listed, is you and I did that. That's on us. We chose the darkness. And God looked down once again and he saw this darkness over the face of the earth, this spiritual darkness, this sin. And he sent again, he sent the light to chase the darkness away. I told you last week that the birth of Jesus was not a event to be celebrated. It is the event that defines the world. It's when suddenly hope shines throughout the world and we have the ability to escape the darkness for the very first time. We have the ability to cast off the blindness and the confusion. But yet humankind, even in that, we choose the darkness again and again and again and again. So many choose the darkness. So many choose to live in sin. and They choose to live confused, blind, and hurting. Why is that? We all know light is a good thing. We, we've always known that. If you spend much time in church, you know that light is always a representative of good and dark is always a representative of bad. Even ancient societies who knew nothing about the Bible, they worshiped the sun. Why? Because the sun brought light. And they knew that light gave life to the world. They knew that life chased the dark, or light chased the darkness away. But yet we run from Jesus. We run from the light. Why is that? be honest with you, I think we're scared. Even as Christians, you may be sitting here and thinking, I wish my unsaved friends could hear this. I wish my unsaved friends could hear this. But we run from Jesus because we're scared. And even as Christians, we can find ourselves running from the light and running back into the darkness of sin again and again and again. And we're scared because suddenly we have to ask, what if, what if I'm not as important as I thought I was? What if he's big and I'm small? What if I have to live a life where I'm called to serve and not a life where I'm called to be served? What if, what if this God asks me to give something up that I like? What if there's a part of the darkness I don't want to get out of my life? 
What if everything I've believed about what's important about the world was wrong? And what if I have to change? And you know what I love about fear is fear will always turn to anger. Fear will always turn to angle, anger, angle, anger. You guys know I've got like this cute little girl that lives in my house. She's so sweet. I have to talk about her like every other week. And she's so sweet. And, and God bless her. She's got the balance skills of a newborn baby donkey. She doesn't do very good, right? She, she falls over everything. She falls all the time. And whenever she falls and when she first started trying to stand up, she'd try to let go of the couch because she's too brave and she'd fall back in the poor head. She could have been so smart. But she hit her, hits her head all the time or, or she falls and scrapes her knee or she hits the corner of something. And every time my immediate reaction is anger. I'm so mad why wasn't somebody watching her who let her over there even though most of the time it's probably me but I'm mad I'll blame grandparents I'll blame my wife I'll blame the neighbors I'll blame everybody I'm just so mad and I have to go into the other room and have to process my emotions I have to I, I call it brooding I go in there and I process my emotions for a few minutes what I'll find every time is I'm not really mad I'm scared that she's hurt and I'm scared that she can't be fixed. And I'm scared that it's going to be worse than what it really is. See, fear will lead you to anger. And when the light enters the world, what we see is anger. We see anger at the light. This is why there are people in the world that don't like you and me. Because we represent the light. And they're scared of what it might change about the world. And so they don't like us and they don't like Christ and they don't like the church. Because they're scared of what it might change about their lives. And we saw this when Jesus physically entered the world. When he was physically here, angry crowds cheered as his blood ran down a cross. Angry crowds celebrated as they lay the light in a grave. It's because they were scared. And that day, anger won. And sin won. That day, selfishness won. And that day, the darkness overcame the earth again. Because they put that light underground. But only for a few days. Only for a few days was the darkness in control. Listen again to what John says. He says, the light shines in the darkness, but the darkness, this is verse five, the darkness does not comprehend it. There's two ways to translate that, and I don't know which one is right. Maybe they're both right. I think God does that sometimes. One way to, comp uh, comp I'm sorry, one way to translate that word is comprehend, as you see it in our Bible here. The Greek word for comp that's translated comprehend here actually means to lay hold of and make it your own. And the translators of this Bible thought that that meant to mentally lay hold of it, to make it their own, to understand it mentally. But there's a lot of train of thought among scholars who think that that Greek word would be better translated overcome. That the darkness could not lay hold of the lie to make it their own. That the darkness could not convert him. And the darkness could not win because light always wins. Our last take home truth is this, is light always chases the darkness away. Wherever there is light, there will be no darkness. Go home and try it. Try to find a dark room while flipping the switch on. It won't happen. The darkness runs away from the light. You know why? Because darkness can never overcome light. And the darkness of sin in this earth could not overcome our Jesus. And that was the plan, is that God would send the light to this world to rescue you and me that he would come here to rescue us, to save us from the darkness, and there would be a struggle between the light of darkness. And it would appear that the darkness won, but Jesus would overcome sin, and Jesus would overcome death, and Jesus would overcome blindness, and Jesus would overcome confusion on the third day. And this is the gospel. The gospel is not a fancy story about how some guy somewhere died and came back to life. No, the gospel is about Jesus overcoming the darkness and overcoming the sin. And we ask ourselves, why? Why would he do this? And it was to rescue you and me. 
because we're the only creation that he formed with his hands. We're the only creation that his breath is in our lungs. We're the only creation that is eternal. And for many people, many people were scared of that. Even if you've made a profession of faith, even if you've come to know Christ, we're scared to just totally give into that lie because what if I have to give up my secret favorite sin? Don't lie to me. We all have one. We have that one we struggle with. And some people don't want to come to him because they're scared they'll have to change. But listen to this. Here's the good news, and this is the good news of the gospel. If you're tired of living in confusion, if you're tired of living in darkness, if you're tired of the blindness of the world, there's a promise straight from the mouth of this light, from the mouth of the light, straight from the mouth of Jesus. This is John 8, 12. He says, Then spake Jesus again to them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. Live if you want to come up here. All it takes for us to be rescued, Jesus put in his own, is, is what we define as faith. When we make a decision that I'm tired of the darkness, I'm tired of the darkness in my life, I'm tired of the darkness taking over the world, and I choose to follow the light. I choose to put my faith in him and believe he is who he says he is. And as we as a church meet here, this is what we celebrate. We celebrate the fact that it's that simple. It's an amazing story that nobody could make up. That the God who created the world would come here and he would love us enough to rescue us from our own darkness that we created. And today, I don't know where everybody's at in this room. I don't, I don't have a clue. But I have a belief that if God calls us to, to address something as a church, to come into this church and open the Bible and go to that verse, I believe it affects somebody in the room. So if you've got darkness in your life, maybe for the first time you need to come to the light, today's the day. Come talk to me. I'll tell you what it means to put your faith in Christ. If you're a Christian and you're still hiding in that darkness and not letting the light take over your life, come talk to me, come pray it out. I'll pray with you, I'll love you, whatever. But don't leave here the same as you came in. Please stand.